0: When you start a business, you have to accept that you're going to fail in a lot of things. There's been so many times where I've had self-doubt, but you just have to embrace that things are going to go wrong. But you also have to understand that you can't make custom furniture without a lot of failure along the way.
1: Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Alyssa Timmer, owner of the furniture company AT Timberworks. Excel sheets and board feet, Alyssa has experience in both. As an accountant, she spends her time going over other people's numbers. So when it comes to her own furniture company, she does the same, keeping records as detailed as her builds. And by focusing on both the number side and the building side of her business, she has been able to take a new company and grow it into the profitable undertaking that you see today. So follow along as we talk about balancing two full-time jobs, finding a woodworking community, what the numbers can tell you, and much more. So let's start the episode and hear about Alyssa's journey in her own words.
0: My story starts a lot like people that I've met online where I had a need for a piece of furniture and I thought I could just make this myself. So we had bought a house in Cleveland in 2020. It was very soon after COVID started. And I really wanted a live edge desk for my office. I was working remote. I still am working remote to this day. And I wanted that beautiful, dark, very natural looking desk with the the standing capability um and after buying the house we just didn't have the funds because i know that they are worth a lot and now i am charging that much so it's kind of full circle um and so i made that desk and i thought wow that was really fun and i've always been super crafty i love working with my hands so i decided to try epoxy because i had seen it online it's very trendy um especially in the 2020 time frame So I made um, a desk for my sister with her school colors. She's a college coach. And that kind of kicked off everything from there. Once you post a picture, everyone is asking for something. Um, And I just started trying new things. I started building plant stands, any kind of furniture I wanted at my house. I did a built-in headboard with floating nightstands for our master bedroom. And that is what led me to founding AT Timberworks in um, August of 2021. So after that, I started taking formal orders and have made everything from different kinds of cabinets and tables and, and desks. I, I really enjoy making bigger furniture, but I also make a lot of charcuterie boards and cutting boards because they sell really easily, especially for events and things like that.
1: The story of your start is, uh, is one that A lot of people have. And no knock on that. Having a demand for something really puts you in that mindset of, of making it. And entrepreneurial people and people who want to work with their hands, they find that that's an outlet that they might not have known existed. But once they start down that road, like you did, and like a lot of other people do, they find that It's exciting and they want to do it. And if they're lucky enough and they work hard enough, then they're good at it and they can start a business doing it. And that is as good a path to having a furniture company as anything out there is. So it's definitely a start that we've heard before, but for you, it's the right start.
0: Yeah. And the bonus to that is that I still do work full time as much as I would love to make furniture full time. It gives me that sort of cushion that I can can fall back on where woodworking is still my outlet, even though I am running it as a full-time business.
1: That is also another thing that I hear from a lot of people, especially in the beginning of their business, like you are, where they are running a full-time furniture business, but they're also still working at another job because Mm -hmm. it's fresh and new and it's exciting, but they don't want to put all their eggs in that basket because it is new. And they're allowed to walk down that path and see how they like it and business wise, how it's working for them and if they can be making a sustainable business doing this. And so running a full-time furniture business, but also working at another job Mm -hmm. is hard. You're splitting your time. You're doing a lot of extra work, but it also gives you that cushion to make sure it's something you want to jump full-time into.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we all wish that we had more time in the day, especially to be woodworking. But when it comes down to it, it's I make time for the things I want to do. And I I often try to be very focused on what I'm doing in the moment. So if I'm working my full time day job, I'm working. Um, I'm not just like going out to my garage because I work from home and woodworking because that doesn't make sense for me. I am very ambitious overall. I think you kind of have to be if you want to run a business outside of your normal day job. And so I have all of these aspirations, both in my career and for my woodworking business. So I I try to keep them very separate and focus on what I'm doing in that moment.
1: You said that when you first started, you Mm -hmm. posted a picture. And once you post a picture, everybody's rushing to your door and saying, oh, this is so exciting. I want you to make something. I want you to make something. And that initial rush is great because it's exciting for you. It's exciting for other people and you can start taking orders. But once it becomes an actual job and people see that you're doing this repeatedly, the shine of it wears off a little bit and people say, oh, this is what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And they might not be banging down your door like they were (laughs) in the beginning. Yeah. How are you keeping the jobs going? How are you keeping clients coming in now that the first rush has subsided and you're actually doing this as a business.
0: Yeah. I actually get asked this question quite often um, from family and friends, but also from other people in the community, especially people local to me. Really, it starts as word of mouth. I have a huge network of people. Luckily, I'm from the Akron area, so it's less than an hour from where I live now. So I have the network of my family and where I'm from and then my college in Cleveland so I, I know a lot of people and that's kind of what got that initial like banging down my door orders and like you talked about. But n- now a lot of it is keeping up consistently with posting things like, hey, I'm still making things. My skills are getting better every day. Here's examples of the things I've been making. And it's really just getting that marketing out there. And it's not formal marketing. It's a lot of social media, as most of us are now nowadays. But it is a lot of work, and I've kind of crossed into this time frame, and I was talking with some people about this, where there are things now that I don't necessarily want to make, but I'm getting asked to make them. And I think this is a struggle with any furniture maker I know, because there are so many different types of woodworking and styles and and things like that, where... I know I could make it if you asked, but do I necessarily want to be making that thing? So that's something I've been struggling with lately as well.
1: How are you dealing with that? Because that is something that a lot of woodworkers and a lot of furniture makers do struggle with. Because if they're doing custom work, then they can take on any job that comes their way. But it might not always be a great fit for the business. So are you thinking about taking jobs as in they're good for your bottom line for the bunny coming in or because you like the style or because you like the clients? What is that deciding factor for you when you're taking a job?
0: I think it's a combination of the three things you just mentioned. So of course, money is a factor. It costs money to run this business just because I also work full time. I, I still have to consider the cost that's coming out of my woodworking business It's hard to say no to people close to me, especially my family. So those I typically will always say yes because I love them and I want to make things for them. But I also think about the future opportunities. So for example, I have an interior designer that I work with quite often. I've made custom furniture for her. And now that has opened doors for her to bring me clients. So in this instance, I want to keep that relationship positive positive. And I'll be honest if there's something I can't make or I can't meet the timeline because a lot of designers will have a shorter timeline. But I think about how that can benefit both of us in the future. If it's something I absolutely do not want to do, and I don't really want to say exactly what that is unless you want me to, but um, if it's something I absolutely don't want to do, then I'll just be honest. I'll just say, hey, either I can't meet this timeframe or I don't have the capability, something along those lines. Because I don't want to say, I just, I don't want to do this. I want to be honest with why I'm not able to take on that project.
1: You want to keep that line of communication open. You want to be a good partner with the people you're working with. And people respect that if you say, I can't do it for this, this, this reason. And they will sometimes come back to you and say, okay, we can adjust that. We can change that. And you keep a dialogue going instead of just saying, no, I don't want to do this, because that just ends the conversation.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I think there's an element of weighing all of the factors, the bottom line, the relationships, the desire to make that thing, because maybe it's something I've really been wanting to make, I have this media stand, I've been really thinking about and like designing in my head. It's like weighted. So if I if it's a good money, but I don't really want to do it, then maybe I won't take it on. Or if it's, not a lot of money, but it's a great project I want to do, I'll kind of weigh it that way, if that makes sense.
1: It does. It makes sense. And it especially makes sense for you as not only a newer business, but also a business that you're Mm -hmm. working another job. So it's not your 100% sole income for you. And you can be a little bit more choosy with what you're doing. And the situation you find yourself in gives you that opportunity to really find your voice. You don't have to take everything on because that's your only paycheck. You can decide where you want to fit in this industry. And then as you move forward and find that Mm -hmm. path that works for you, then you can go out on your own and do just that and understand exactly what you want to do after trying out different things and different opportunities
0: exactly and that's how i feel as well i want to i I have that benefit of being able to be a little bit choosy because i don't have to rely on the income even though i still am trying to build a business but i am also the last few months i've been evaluating where i want to go in the future So that has an effect on what I take on and what I don't.
1: What does the process look like when a client comes to you? And there's obviously different ways. There's interior designers and there's friends and family. And then there's just clients who find you off of social media or their referrals. So there's a lot of different types of clients. But what is a, a standard conversation look like from when somebody reaches out? and says, I want a piece of furniture, and then how does that progress down the line to actually building the piece for that person? So
0: I'm actually still trying to get a definitive process in place. I've been kind of ad hoc with it. So like you said, it can come in from different avenues, social media. I have a website where you can submit an inquiry with information on what you'd like. And a lot of times people will text me if they know me. Um, So it is different avenues. And what I've started to gear my process towards looks like is understanding the want and the style and most importantly, the timeline, because that will have an effect on whether I can take it or not. And most people are flexible. So I think that understanding that flexibility is helpful. I will then explain to them my thoughts on the design and that's just casual conversation it's not, nothing formal i will then start to calculate how much i think it will cost me which and then i can provide an estimate for that person because i want to make sure it is within their budget it's important and i can provide different price points as well you know if you want something made of maple it might cost less than walnut so I'm also starting to work on doing 3D design. I'm very new to it. I just downloaded SketchUp recently. So I'm trying to sketch things out. I used to do it on paper just to give them an idea of what it would look like. And then now I'm trying to do the 3D modeling because I think that will benefit me and clients down the line. And then I can just provide them all of that information. And I will usually take a deposit if it's something I, someone I don't know. I really should better about that and take deposits from everyone. But again, I'm still pretty new to taking custom orders in that sense. And then I will start the building process. I try to keep people updated as I go throughout the process, but not overly like every night, like it's more general. And here's what I'm thinking for timeline. And then we can talk about delivery slash install if that's necessary.
1: I'm very interested to talk with you about your pricing because your other job mm-hmm. is very numbers based. And so you come from a world where numbers are important. They're what you do every day. So I imagine that translates to your furniture business as well, and that that sense of keeping track of everything and making sure everything is accounted for. So let's talk about your pricing and your structure and how your other job relates to that?
0: Yeah. And I am a very numbers person. So this is an interesting topic. It's funny. I was in the beginning notoriously bad at charging enough. I think we all are and have gone through that phase. Um, I still might be kind of coming out of that phase, but what I like to do is evaluate the, not just the costs of a project first, but the value. So when I think of a custom table, there's a lot of value in the fact that things are handmade, custom made to your exact dimensions and style. And so I like to take a pricing structure. I do a lot of Excel work as a lot of accountants do. That looks like 3 times your cost of materials plus 10%. That has worked well for me in the past just because that 10% can encompass consumables and miscellaneous things, costs that you have, wear and tear things like that. But There's also the the pricing structure where you charge by hour. I am actually exploring my shop rate as some people will like to call it, how many hours this takes me times the rate of labor essentially. And I am currently doing an analysis on a couple larger projects I'm working on to see how my current cost model compares to that that shop rate. So there's a lot of different strategies on how you can price things, but for now I am, kind of keeping with that three times model, I will say once I get a hard number, I will look at it and think about, again, the value, but also if that makes sense in this market. When you're looking at something, you kind of have to evaluate. So I'm in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, It's not LA by any means, but it's also not like a small town. So there are people willing to pay a certain amount. Um, And I want to keep myself in a price point that's not cheap. So I'm getting a million orders a day, but also it's, it has value because it was handmade.
1: You just went into this a little bit, but I want to go a little bit deeper as an accountant, you're using ideas that might not be known to somebody who Mm -hmm. has started woodworking and started furniture making and doesn't really know the ins and the outs of, of that kind of world. You're saying words like you're running an analysis and you're doing a cost model. Can you talk more on that and what that actually looks like in a real world situation? What you're doing to take information from a project to put it into your computer model and figure out exactly what you're supposed to be charging and where your numbers are?
0: Yeah. So I. A lot of it is manual entry into Excel, at least for me, because that's just what I'm comfortable with. But I will create a formula. And if this isn't something that's common knowledge, there are so many good YouTube videos on how to do Excel formulas. Just like anything, YouTube has a lot of the answers. But this is something where you can enter different values. So at it's very base level. There's cells where you can enter every single cost you have. So for example, I'm working on a really large live edge bar top. There are costs that are very obvious. So you've got the cost of the wood slabs that I bought. That's an easy cost to put in there, but also the amount of star bond that I've used and other things like that. So you have to consider every single thing that you're using. A lot of sandpaper. Um, Those are the consumables I mentioned earlier. And then creating a formula. So you can create a formula that will give you different price points. When you add a formula, you can play with the the values. So in Excel, if you type in a different number, it can change the outcome of the formula. So you can kind of play around with that. So for example, I have a current quote that I'm working on for a hallway console table or a foyer table. And she was talking about, well, I wanna see different price points. Okay. So I can put all of the values in there that I know the costs that I know that I'm going to have, but also you can consider different costs of wood types or sizes. So of course, board feet that you use will be less. So you can play with that and get kind of analyze what price point you want to be at in that person's budget.
1: You also bring up a good point where pricing for a piece of furniture isn't always dependent on that. Price That you're doing for that one client. If you're keeping track of every single project that comes your way, and you're looking at the amount of auxiliary materials like glue and screws and finish and not just the main lumber, and you're keeping track of all that, then you have a roadmap of what your projects look like. And you can say, when you're pricing out a new piece, you can look back and say, this has a lot of these elements of that project this has a lot of these elements of that project and you can get better numbers than just coming up with new numbers for every single project having that library of projects that you already have and having it written out very easily to see makes your new pricing so much easier
0: yes and also you can look at your market so that when i talked about um evaluating your market and doing an analysis, you can research in your area what someone else might be charging. You don't necessarily have to copy that, but it gives you an idea of what people might be willing to pay. And understanding the area that you live is very important. When you talk about having those past projects saved in the analysis on the numbers there, I think what's important there is, you. I get a lot of repeat clients. So I need to be sure that I'm managing the price. And of course, our prices change over time, but it's all about, for me, it's like managing those expectations. So someone that I had a client in the very, very beginning of my business, I just explained to them that here's, I don't tell them exactly like breaking down the price, but I kind of explained like my business has grown and things that um, have changed. And that's why you might feel like this pricing is a little bit higher. And 99% of the time, people understand. They see the value in something that was handcrafted.
1: It goes back to that communication and how being upfront with your clients about the stuff that you should be upfront. You don't have to give them all of your pricing. You don't have to give them that full back end of it, but yeah. being upfront with them and and explaining the situation, especially with a, a smaller and newer business, that helps to not make a friendship, but make a connection that becomes an easier relationship to have with the client.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because people like to be informed and they appreciate communication is what I've found.
1: We've talked a lot about numbers and (laughs) we talked a lot about numbers because honestly, there's not a lot of people in this industry that really go into the numbers. And it's something that needs to be done more because building is one side, but the business is just as much or more important than the actual building. So I appreciate you sharing that number stuff, but we're going to jump to another side of it. And it's a little bit more furniture wood wise, and that is sustainable forestry and making sure that your work is sustainable. And that is a great ideal to have because we are cutting down trees as furniture makers and we are using natural resources and we need to keep that replenished as much as possible. But it's also a hard thing for a new business because you're working with a nonprofit, the National Forest Foundation, and a portion of your sales are going to that. But that also means that just like it says, a portion of your sales are going to that. And you have to balance a company where you're trying to make money and you're trying to make as much money as you can on each sale to make sure you can make a sustainable business. But you also want to focus on your ideals and having sustainable forestry. So Mm -hmm. how are you balancing that in your own mind and in your books when you're actually selling to a client?
0: Yeah. So this, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. This is so important to me. I think that setting that in my books up front, I have a specific percentage that I use to calculate essentially like philanthropy. So essentially I want to make sure that it's not built into my pricing necessarily. So I'm not upcharging to be able to donate to the National Forest Foundation to plant trees, but I am setting that expectation up front in my mind and it's built into my formulas like I was talking about before. So that way, when it comes to the end of a build, it's not like I'm losing money. It's it's valuable to me. And like you mentioned, keeping sustainable forestry for generations to make sure that people can enjoy our forests and nature and woodworking down the line. So how I do that is I actually, like I mentioned, I have a set percentage that I donate. And at the end of every project, I have a card that I write how many trees it donated. So I can calculate based on my percentage in the cost of the project that how many trees they will donate. And that is a really cool way to connect people with my values and my mission. They love to see that. And I like to write the forest where it might be planted and it starts a conversation, right? They're like, they feel like they've given back. And so do I. So it's a great, it's a great way for me to give back to something I really care about.
1: It's your tagline, custom woodwork and sustainable forestry. So it means Mm -hmm. a lot to you just as much as the actual building and client work, being able to give back to something that's important and, and sticking to that and making sure you build that into your, not only your pricing, but also into the core of your business gives you that peace of mind every time you're building a piece of furniture.
0: Being able to see the progress over time in 2022, we donated 320 trees, which I think is amazing, but that's just me because I love trees. And I've I've been thinking about how I can better put that on display Because like you said, it is part of my core values and I want to be able to see that every day. I think about it, but I've been kind of brainstorming. Maybe I can hang something on the wall in my shop with a tracker, um, something like that. I've seen people use trackers for follower counts or subscribers, things like that. So I kind of, it sparked my idea of tracking um, trees donated.
1: I love that idea. It (laughs) it feels like a much more genuine thing to do with the tracker.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So I'll be hopefully making something for that soon
1: as a newer business. And I know I keep bringing it up, but it's true. You know, that's (laughs) what you are and that's what your business is right now. So that's what we're talking about. I'm sure you asked a lot of people for advice and you talked with a lot of people and you researched a lot of things, but now your business is getting past that it's getting past the, the training wheels and it's, it's, being a real thing, a business that is making money and you're living off of it and it's it's working. So you've learned from that beginning part of it. For people who are looking to start a business and they're looking to go out like you are and follow their dreams and their passions of building something, and also for people who have a business, but feel like they're stuck in a place and they need to move forward. What's some advice that you've learned over the years, building your own business that you could share with people who are looking to do the same thing?
0: I think there's a number of things. But the first thing that comes to mind is just learning as much as you can and absorbing as much information as you can. So this podcast is a great example. You've talked to so many different business owners. So If they're listening to me say this, they've probably listened to your podcast before. And so I listen to a lot of podcasts, audiobooks, things like that, just to learn from people that have done this before. I'd also say building a community. I know we always in woodworking talk about the community, but it really is so valuable. And that is why people talk about it. Because when you build a community, whether it's on social media or or in your local area, it can help you learn from others doing the exact same thing. So do not be afraid to put yourself out there. We have um, a Northeast Ohio woodworkers group, and it is, so, it is such a valuable group of people because even though you would think we're all doing the same thing and it's competition, it's really not. We all have our own style. We're not stealing each other's clients by any means, but we are helping each other and talking to each other about different way, you know, pricing is a good example or marketing, things like that. I just had a friend come over to my shop two days ago and we talked for an hour about our strategies and business and things like that. And we have that woodworking in common. So we have that common ground that we can talk about. But I think that you also, when you start a business, you have to accept that you're going to fail in a lot of things. There's been so many times where I've had Self doubt, but you just have to embrace that things are going to go wrong. Client builds might go wrong. That might be the worst type of failure because you have someone else involved that's paying you money. But you also have to understand that you can't make custom furniture without a lot of failure along the way.
1: Dealing with failure is one of the better ways to learn how to be successful. I hear what you're saying with that. And I wanna thank you for sharing that and all the rest of the information and ideas that you've shared throughout this episode. And I really do appreciate it. And I'm sure everybody listening appreciates it as well. So thank you for that. Thank you for your time. And I really appreciate you sitting down with me and I'm wishing you nothing but success moving forward in your business.
0: Thanks, Ethan. It's been great.
1: Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you liked what you heard and you got value out of it, please think about leaving a review and subscribing wherever you listen. To learn more about the series, please visit buildingafurniturebrand.com and feel free to reach out anytime with questions or guest suggestions to hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can find me at The Build with Ethan on Instagram. Hope you enjoyed the show and can't wait to bring you the next one.